this morning. Was that awesome? <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. Well, we're in our series on I Am a Church Member, and we have books for everybody. And if you haven't gotten a book, we have some that we'd love to give you. Uh, you can help us out if you'd like to with that. But we're really encouraging our church at this time to all of our small groups, all of our groups to go through that. And during this time, as we kind of just uh, unpack this book over the next uh, three weeks, um, I'd ask that the, uh, a couple of our elders would come each of the Sunday mornings uh, today and then the next couple to just share just a very brief insight about that week and the kind of chapters that we're focusing on. So I've asked Gary if he would come and just share a little bit about the book with us right now. So Gary? Thanks. So, yeah, as we've all been talking, there's kind of a theme going on here. Uh, we're kind of ramping up to get wait for Pastor Paul to come here, but at the same time, we're all trying to ramp up together, and that's kind of the purpose why we're all going through this book as a church. Uh, I am a member, and when it says I am a member, we're not talking about signing on the line of a book or something like that. We're just talking about participants in this body of Hope Covenant Church. So what are my responsibilities as a church member? Um, that's kind of what the whole theme is. And tonight uh, at the open study at 5.30 and at throughout the small groups throughout the week, uh, we're going to be looking at two chapters. Um, one of them, chapter two, is I will be a unifying member. And it kind of asks the question, are you a source of unity or divisiveness in the church? What does it really mean to gossip, and what is the effect on the body? What does true forgiveness really look like? Uh, the other chapter we'll be looking at this week is, I will not let my church be about my preferences and desires. Ouch. So now it's starting to meddle a little bit, but it's all good stuff. Um, kind of asking the question of, do I have an attitude of entitlement? Uh, do I expect the church to do certain things for me? Or am I willing to uh, serve the church and build the church up as a body? You know, I was kind of thinking of the picture of a body, you know, if all the parts have to work together, the eye, the feet, the ears, but for the church to move together in, in some direction, it all has to move together. So uh, the author, Tom, Tom Rayner, uh, asks the question or makes a statement, but the strange thing about church membership is that you actually give up your preferences when you join. So we're going to be looking at that and what that really means to us as, a, as individuals, as participants, and as a, as a body of Christ. All right, thanks. Good stuff. So if you're a part of a small group, that's what your small group is working on. If you're not a part of a small group and would like to dive in with us, which we would love to have everybody do that, we have an open group that meets here on uh, Sunday nights at 5.30. So you can join me and be a part of that group if you would like to, and we would love to have you. Last week we had about uh, 26 or 28 folks here and had a great time. I, um, I don't do a lot of reminiscing. That's really not my nature. And for a lot of people, reminiscing is a big deal. It's like, well, looking back at what's taken place in their life or over a, a time period or whatever, and it's really valuable for us to do that. It is. It's, it's there's kind of markers along our path and our journey. It's important for us to do that. So I, I think, you know, it is a great thing to be looking at what's taken place, especially when we talk about the life and ministry of the church, what has taken place and how has God been working and how has he blessed the church 
and so forth. And I think that's all well and good. I just tend not to be a person that looks back at a lot of things and thinks about the past. Mine is kind of the opposite of that. My nature is to look at what's out ahead and how do we get there and what do we need to do and how can we grow. And that's more my nature. So it's hard for me sometimes to to kind of reminisce. But in the last probably week and a half, um, because of being here for the better part of a year, it's caused me to do a little bit of reflection and reminiscing about my time here with with you as a church. And and it's been uh, really good for me to kind of go through that and, and kind of walk through that. And even though we're doing, do, uh, kind of doing this series in small groups on I Am a Church Member, the next couple of Sundays, today and the next week, will not really be focused on that. And so I'm kind of jumping in there with something a little bit different today. And, uh, and so the, the, the topic today is how to train a pastor. I don't know if you're like me, but I have a hard time training anything. Like if you just like, how difficult is it to like train your dog to do anything but like eat and sleep? I mean, seriously. If you've got a pet, it's hard to train them. I think I, the only thing I learned for our dogs is I've probably trained them how to know when it's meal time or where snacks are. And when I open the refrigerator door and open the cheese drawer, they're they're there. I mean, they're like they've got that one down pretty quick. That's about all I've been able to really train them, or to train anything, whatever it is, to try to train something. It's very difficult. I talked with my kids a while back, and I said, now they're kind of older, and I was like, well, you know, how did mom and I do? You know, how were we? Did we kind of help you? Did we kind of train you up? And I talked to my one daughter, Kaylee, in New York, and she was like, yeah, good luck with that, Dad. Anyway, so, you know, sometimes as a parent, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to even train kids and develop them and grow them. And you know what? Parenting just never stops, does it? doesn't matter how old you are, you're still parenting. And uh, it, it just, it kind of gets that way. And just when you think you've got parenting down, you wind up parenting your parents. So it's like a really weird deal that God put out there. But that's the way it is. I thought about um, the way in which uh, sometimes we look at what the focus of ministry is for us and what's the future out ahead. And churches, organizations, individuals, we may have a mission statement we may have a vision statement, and those things are really, they're pretty different. A mission statement is, doesn't really change a whole lot. It's pretty central. A mission statement tells us about who we are and what we're about, what we're trying to accomplish. A vision statement, though, is adaptable. It's changeable. It's trying to help us live into that mission statement, but in creative ways. It's changing all the time. I thought, is there a mission statement perhaps that Jesus had? And there are many, many statements that Jesus made, and some we might consider as mission statements, the Great Commission, etc., the Great Commandment. But I launched and logged on to this one a little bit this week from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's a mission statement. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and to save lost people. Did he have a vision statement? Probably many vision statements probably changed over time with almost every conversation that he was trying to develop with people. So we want to be about the mission statement, the core of what the church is all about, and we want to be about vision in terms of where God is taking us. And you know, it's a a unique time in the life of Hope Covenant Church, isn't it? Because we're just on the precipice of drawing in a new pastor, Paul, his wife Mary, into our community of faith. 
And there, there are some challenges that come along with that. And that's really what I want to talk about today. Not how to train a pastor, because that's really an impossible task. You could ask my wife that. But, um, but it's really how to have a successful pastor. If, you, if you're in an organization, you're in a school district, you know what the principal or the superintendent is. If you're in a business, you know what the CEO is. You want to have a successful one of those people, don't you? You want to have a healthy, an alert, a dynamic. You want to have that kind of person as your leader. You don't want somebody sloughing off. You don't want them worn out. You don't want them overworked to the point where they're in exhaustion and can't do anybody any good. So let me give you some things that I have I've chosen to talk about today, kind of 10 items about what it is to, to have a successful pastor. And I'm speaking from a lot of years of experience here. And so I'm just going to encourage you and challenge you today, take those notes out that are in your program, and there's 10 things, and I'm going to try to go through them pretty quickly. Last, last uh, uh, hour I was a, a little bit long, so I'm going to try to trim some stuff down for you. But there are 10 things of how to have a successful pastor, okay? And it's really on you and me. I mean, it's really on us. We are the church, and it's our responsibility to care for each other in terms of our spiritual life, to grow as a, as a community of believers of faith, but also to hold up our staff people, and particularly our pastors. So here we go. So here we go. So here's the first one. <clears throat> Let him have family time. Just fill it out. Let him have family time. What I mean by that is help to create margin in this person's life. Most ministry folks are driven people. They're driven people. They're passionate. They're motivated. And they want to serve God. That's why they got to where they're at. They desire to help the church grow. They will go the extra mile. If there's any staff person, any pastor that is not focused and is not self-motivated, I'd question their competency and their desire to really be an active servant of God. I would. And I think it's important to evaluate that. But we want to lean in and help people find margin in their life so that they have space to grow. That's an important, important piece. I had a Christian leader uh, that I read some years ago say, you can't be a pastor and have an A-level marriage. And that shook me. Because as a person, as a husband, as a father, a dad, I, I want to have an A-level marriage. In other words, I want my marriage to be at the top. I want to be great at marriage. I mean, I can mess up at a lot of other stuff, but marriage is not one I want to mess up at. But this person said, you cannot you know, be a pastor and have an A-level marriage. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that, and we need to hear that. And so our role and our job is to help create margin and space in this person's life so that their family life and their marriage is healthy. It is a challenge to be in ministry, just like it's a challenge for all of us to be in whatever jobs or organizations, but ministry has some other components on it as well. When we create margin, whether we give opportunities for the pastor to get a break, to be on a retreat, to be strengthened, to grow, to be, ref to be refreshed and relaxed, that's what happens. They come back that way. They come back more ready to go. You know, most of you know I shared last week that I've taken the job of being the senior pastor or lead pastor at a church in my area in Roseville where I, where I live, and uh, I'll start that in October. And, and in the sort of uh, going through the call and what's in the call, the job responsibilities as well as uh, uh, everything that goes with that, 
they had put in there that in seven years I would get a sabbatical. I've never had a sabbatical, but I thought, you know, that sounds pretty good in seven years. But in seven years, I could be gone. So I'm like, wait a minute. So I came back to them because that seemed to me too far off and too distant. And for me to create margin in a healthy way for growth, I said, what if we cut the sabbatical time in half and do it after three years? That made more sense. And so they agreed to do that. It's things like that where you go, yeah, that might sound good, but maybe move it into a more practical zone. Just a little bit of an illustration. We want to create margin, and we want to create opportunities for growth and development for this person with their family. Here's a little tip. Protect rather than pursue. Some of us are always pursuing people in ministry or people in whatever it is, and we don't sit back and maybe protect them a little bit. So let me just encourage you. It's not that to, to stay away from things. It's not to not ask questions. But, you know, be smart about how we do that. Here's number two. Don't expect him to be at everything and to be everywhere. Don't expect him to be at everything the church does. I love being at stuff the church does. I try to show up to as much stuff as possible. I enjoy that. It's good. I mean, I, that's great. But I also know there are times when I can't. I just can't be there. I love our, our Friday morning men's Bible study, but I can't be there every Friday. It does not work for me. I can't do it. So it's knowing that we have to give some space along the way. The pastor only has so many hours in a day. If you want him to be healthy and effective, he needs to be a person who's in balance. So don't let him feel guilty and pressure when he can't be at every single thing. There's a little equation that a lot of businesses use, and sometimes churches use it as well. I learned this several years ago. It's kind of a, a two-three principle. And in your day, in our day, there are really three kind of sections of our day. There's the morning, there's the afternoon, and there's the evening. And in order to create balance, especially for ministry people who might be all over the, their map in terms of their hours and times of day when they're connecting, is really to target to aim at two of those in your day. Now, there are some times when you do all three. I get that. And we're around some people that run all three a lot, all the time. They burn out, don't they? They get totally frazzled, and they're really not that good for much. And so to get in balance is try to look at people's time as two out of those three components in their day. doesn't always work out. But a good, developed, and motivated ministry person, that will not be their problem. Their problem will be running threes. And we need to help them to not run threes all the time. That will wear them down. Here's number three. Lower the expectations on his kids and spouse. Kids are kids. Now, Paul and Mary are coming, and their kids are grown. I mean, I think their youngest has just come out of high school and is going off to college. So in some ways, that's kind, of a, that's kind of a nice thing for hope, but it's still, you're still parenting. You still need time for your kids, but lower the expectations on their kids and spouse, especially around this place. The spouse will find their way. Mary will find her way. She'll get involved in certain things along the way. She's gifted. She's a smart person. She's sharp. But lower the expectations on that because there are lots of other things that are going on in her life. It is challenging to be the wife of a pastor or to be the husband of a pastor. It's a challenging thing. My wife reminds me of that all the time, and that's good. In some ways, pastors have a certain level and church leaders of higher standards that are placed on them. 
And it's good to know that. But they shouldn't have unrealistic expectations on them as well. Here's number four. Respect his leadership. It's not a dictatorship. We didn't hire Paul to come in here and tell us exactly what to do on every single thing. It's not a dictatorship. He's not the king, but he is the leader. The church is not a group of aimless, powerless, giftless folks. No, look around you. There are people all around you right now that are incredibly smart, incredibly gifted by God, have amazing abilities, have utilized those abilities, are discovering who they are in God. It is amazing in this room at this moment right now the power of God that is available to him to use to serve him and to grow his kingdom. Amazing. Jesus grabbed onto about 12 guys. We got a room full of people. Wow, what an incredible thing. But respect his leadership. His leadership brings with it a focus on a common mission. That's why I talked about mission and vision. His job, his role, he is a person of experience who knows about the mission and purposes of God. And when he comes here, he brings that stuff with him. He didn't pack it in a box and leave it back in Chicago. No, he brings a wealth of experience with him. Oh, he sees, he's going to see things differently than we do, and that's okay. But he brings leadership traits and characteristics and qualities with him as a seasoned pastoral person. We want to respect that. We want to have to be able to utilize him to help us advance ministry here. That's why we've called him here. He's not perfect, but he's learned a few things over the years, and we want to allow him to lead us as he does. Will you take advantage of his leadership in doing that? Some, some parts of that are to take advantage of his being new. When you're new to some, a new restaurant, a new job, a new church, you see things in a, a new school, you see things in an entirely different way. People who have been here for a while have lost the eyes of newness. Okay, they don't, they, we, we all of a sudden after a little while, doesn't take long, we don't notice the rips in the carpet anymore. We don't, we don't notice that the paint color on the wall over there is faded and chipped and peeling. We don't notice the oil stains in the parking lot where visitors park. We, don't, we miss stuff. We miss stuff. And so we want to take advantage of his newness. He's going to see things a little bit differently. Not just the facilities, but he's going to see what we do in ministry. And his role and his job is to keep us focused on the mission of the church. The supreme pieces of what the church is about. That's his role. And that may cause us to have to reevaluate some areas of church life. It may cause us to, to step with him into that and allow him to help us understand how maybe some of the things we're doing aren't as helpful to the overall mission of the church and maybe they need a bit of adjusting along the way. There are people who want to keep us off that missional target and that's not a healthy thing. I've been in churches where people were disconnected and unconnected. They, uh, they weren't ready to, they didn't really want to work with the leaders of the church. In fact, they, they, um, they, were not, they were so unconnected that they didn't want to follow, they didn't want to partner, they didn't want to support. They subverted the movement of leaders in the church. And they undermined the outcomes. And what happened was things became frustrating and discouraging for the church. I've been in churches like that. Not here, but I've been in churches like that. 
I've also been on the opposite side of that, of churches where people were really excited and really committed and looked forward to serving and wanted to know how to expand what we were doing in ministry and jumped on, boards with, and jumped on board with groups of people who had ministry focus. And those were the most fun groups of people to work with and accomplished tons of things for God and were a real blessing. So we just want to keep ourselves in that sort of idea. Follow this person's leadership and be about what he's doing in terms of leading us. Say this with me. I am not the pastor. Can you say that with me? I am not the pastor. It's okay. You can say it. I am not the pastor. Okay, he is the pastor. He will be the pastor. But you know, the church isn't about, it's not my church. It's not Pastor Scott's. It's not Pastor Dwayne's church. It won't be Pastor Paul's church. It's Jesus' church. It's Jesus' church. But allow him to be the pastor of the church. Allow him to lead and, and direct and guide because that is what it is about. I love what it says in, in Hebrews 13, 17. It says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. We want to work together in a way that creates joy, not a burden, don't we? To anyone, to any leader, and that's an important piece. Here's number five. Number five is this, encourage him. Encourage him. And I love that. So, hey, last week we wrote some stuff on the board, all good. I kept some of it, put it up on my wall in the, in the office in there, thought it was great. But uh, this is like, uh, help me here. How, what are some ways that we can encourage a pastor? What are some ways that we can encourage a pastor? All right, throw them out there for me. What do we got? How can we encourage a pastor? What's that? Take them. I, Jim, thank you. Okay, all right, good. Take, okay. Cool. Okay, good. Take them to lunch. Invest in them. Okay, good. What else? Pray for them. All right. Awesome. Pray. Great. What else? What's that? Thank them. Okay, good. And this really goes for any staff member, but especially pastors, but there you go. How else do we encourage a pastor? Follow. Okay. Okay. Ah. Yeah, excellent. Encourage and give good feedback. What? <laughs> Don't gossip. and stop. There we go. Is there an E on the end of gossip? No. Okay, good. I think that's right. That just looked weird to me. Okay, what else? Anything else? Wow. Okay, volunteer. All right. Good. Volunteer to do something. Good. Great. That's good. Good. Very good. Awesome. 
So take them to lunch. Okay, good. <laughs> Pray. Thank them. Uh, follow. Follow. Uh, encourage and give good feedback. Don't gossip and stop gossip. And volunteer to do something. Those are great, aren't they? That's great. I mean, those, those things are huge at encouragement and encouraging a pastor as well. You know, pastors get lots of notes from people. They get lots of notes from people. Some of them are happy notes, and some of them are not so happy notes. Some of us get emails from people, but we get notes from people. And I learned this from a friend of mine, a longtime pastor, and he said if ever he gets notes, and when he gets notes, and he got lots of notes, but the notes are unsigned, they go right into the round file. Okay? Because... You need to be able to speak to a pastor. You need to be able to speak your ideas or your challenges or whatever the area of challenge is for you. But it isn't fair if you don't sign who that's from. That's not fair. And so I would just say to you, don't stop writing notes. If you have a question or a concern, go and talk to the pastor. We're pretty much human beings. It's pretty much okay, but it's like actually do it. But take responsibility, step up, mature, and speak about it so that we can actually work on it in a healthy way. That would be awesome. There you go. Number six, stop gossip. Great, bingo, we got it right there. Stop gossip. I've never known a church where there isn't some gossip, where there isn't some talking behind people's backs, whether it's the pastor or people in the church. I've never known of a church where that didn't happen. That stuff does happen. That stuff does happen. And I'm not talking about like some of the stupid stuff that I might say or do. That, that don't, but don't be a party to the, to the real gossipy things that happen. And stop it when you hear it. Proverbs 16.28 says this, A perverse person stirs up conflict. And a gossip separates close friends. Is that good? And then from, uh, from Proverbs 26, 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without a gossip, a quarrel dies down. So what we learn from those is like, what's going to heat stuff up? Gossip is. When we find people in the church that are ramped up over stuff, I generally know somebody's gossiping about stuff. And that's what's ramped it out of control. So get back to like, let's diffuse those things and let's maturely deal with the concerns and issues that we have. Because gossip is, gossip metastasizes, doesn't it? It spreads everywhere. It implodes. It erodes. It erodes the character of the gossip as well as the church. Very unhealthy. What's the antidote to gossip? Brag about your church. Brag about God. Brag about what God's doing in and through your church. Brag about what God is doing in your life. Brag about what you see God doing in the lives of the people that are a part of the church that you're a part of. Brag about God. That's the antidote. And it's a great one. I like to brag about you guys to my friends. I love to. I love to tell about what are some of the things that we're involved in here, we're invested in, and how it's shaping community, and how we're, we're helping to put shoes on children, or how we're spreading the gospel by certain events that we're doing, or Bible studies that are going on, or how a person's made a decision because someone stepped in and helped them and assisted them at a time of need. I love to brag about you guys. 
Here's number seven. Um, pay him fairly. This is something the church does really well. The church here at Hope does this very well. It takes care of their staff. They take care of their staff. But it's just a reminder for all of us to know. It's just not on the board to do this. It's really the community that is a part of this process. But it's keeping in step. It's consulting with up-to-date compensation guidelines from our denomination and other sources. It's asking for leadership assistance in this area, but it's keeping step. Don't neglect honest, regular assessment of the ministry of the person. That's huge for us. Don't neglect assessing how each staff member is doing. When I first came here, that was one of the first things that I dealt with here, was trying to reevaluate how we were assessing our staff people and raise the bar a little bit so that they would get more input in terms of the realistic assessment of how they were doing. That's very, very important. And, and it is their ministry, but at the same time, it's their job. It's their job. And we need to evaluate how people are doing in their job. It's, it's, that, it's that important. Compensation is key to that. The first church I ever served as a, as a uh, youth pastor, the chairman of the church, after I hadn't been there very long, came up to me, took me aside, and said to me, you're not in the ministry to make money. And it took me off guard. Because I well, yeah, duh, I'm like here to serve God. But I was young, a bit naive, and I didn't understand what he was saying. But don't let statements like that be an excuse for not taking care of your staff people and compensating them properly. That's wrong. That's wrong. And I, and I would just say to you again, hear this part, the church is doing well. The church is doing well in terms of its compensation, but needing to stay on top of that. Anyway, trust me, this is a key area uh, in the church, especially for the uh, especially for the pastor's spouse. The pastor's spouse will know that you love and care for her husband or his wife as a pastor if you're compensating them fairly. Here's number eight. Um, serve with him. Serve with him. Volunteer to do something. That's great. Serve with him. Um, th this little, just a little phrase, I want you to say it with me. This is a volunteer organization. Let's say that together. This is a volunteer organization. Mm, come on, got to help me there. This is a volunteer organization. One more time. This is a volunteer organization. Now here's the second half, so volunteer. Let's say that, so volunteer. So volunteer. Let's put it all together. I know we can do it. This is a volunteer organization. Let's try it again. That's good. Volunteer organization. So volunteer. Hey, why don't we stand? I, this list, we're doing so well at this point. Let's like say it from our heart, okay? Let's say it. One, two, three. This is a volunteer organization. So volunteer. Great. You can have a seat. Okay, good. My work in the church here is done. Okay, there we go. Um, anyway, so if you, uh, you know, learn your gifts, discover your gifts and abilities. If you don't know what they are, discover them. Work on them. Ask for some help. Seek opportunities. That's very, very good. I'm, I'm, I get strong feelings about this area because if there's uh, an area of disappointment or discouragement to you and you're, you're challenged with some area of the church where it's just not doing its job to your uh, liking and it's, it's just not working for you, let me encourage you that a solution to that is that is a great area for you to step into to try to help be a part of the solution 
rather than making complaints, right? That is a huge thing. So if you're not, if you're not liking what's happening in children's ministry, or if you're, you're concerned about our student ministry, or you don't like the way our ushers are working, step in and volunteer to say, I'd like to help there. Tell me what I can do to be a part of the solution to move the mission of the church, the mission of the church, which is expanding the kingdom of God and growing disciples. Let me be a part of what God's doing there because I don't want to be discouraging. I want to be encouraging. You can tell I get ramped up on that. Now hear me on this. If you are not serving, your church is overworking. If you are not serving, your church is overworking. If you are not, because all of us are gifted, all of us have abilities, all of us have been given tasks and challenges by God to utilize our giftedness and abilities in the local church. All of us have. If you're not doing your part, something's not happening. Something's being left to the side of the road. If you're not serving, somebody else is trying to pick up your portion, and they're getting overworked. If you're not doing your part, something's getting undone, or not done well, or not done in the way that you were created to do it. Now I recognize in times of life, there are seasons of our life where we can't serve the same way. We may have an illness. There might be something happening emotionally where we just have to step aside. Or we've been overworked for a long time, we need to... I get all that, I get all that. But our heart's desire should be to how can I serve the God I love with the gifts that he's given me to bless his people. Got it? That's a good one. That's a good one. Look for opportunities to serve. Here it is. Serve with him, the pastor, not against him. Don't be an against-the-grain person. Be a learner, not the learned. Be a learner, not the learned. There is a huge, huge difference here. A disciple of Jesus, a disciple is a learner. That's the definition. That's the Greek stuff. A disciple is a learner. We always are learners if we're disciples. If we're following Jesus, we're learners. We're not the learned. We know a lot of people who have stopped because they're the learned. They know it all. They got it down. They don't need any more. No, 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 no. A disciple is always a learner, not the learned. Let's be learners along the path with God. There is a huge difference. So say it with me one more time. This is a volunteer organization, so volunteer. Let's say it again. This is a volunteer organization. Kind of weak. Got to do it again. Come on, give it to me really strong. Blow me out of here. One, two, three. This is a volunteer organization. So volunteer. Amen. Number nine, pray with him. You might say, well, easy, I can do that. No, pray for him. When a son or a daughter or a niece or a nephew goes off to Afghanistan, we pray. What do we pray for? We pray for protection. We pray for safety. We pray for no harm from the enemy. When, they're fight, when the fighting is fierce and we know that they're going to be involved on the front lines, we pray. They've entered into the battle zone. We're in a battle zone. We're not winning right now. We need the power of God and we need a strong church 
a large church. We need the church to be strong in the battle zone that we face in our culture, in our day, at this moment, and in your life. Pray for the pastor. He's in a battle zone. Pray for the staff. Pray for the leaders. Pray for yourself. Pray for the teams of people around you because we need God to make an impact on our culture right now. Not in three to five years in something. We need Him right now. Pray. Pray for your pastor. And let's watch God work. Here's the last one, 10. Grow personally. This is not last and a last little thought to throw on. To me, it's the one I want to leave you with the most. Commit to mature in your walk with Christ. Serve and strive daily to be like Christ. You'll be in the best position to support not only your pastor, but your church and Jesus. Hmm. Those are my suggestions. There's just a few, those ten. But when we begin to live into those, we want to watch what God will do. I want to close with this. These verses from Scripture. Hebrews 4, 1 and 2. Therefore, since the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Then from Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the full measure of the fullness of Christ. And then from 2 Peter 1, 5-9. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Hey, why don't you pray with me? Jesus, thank you that as we walk with you, we're not perfect, but God, remind us of how we can be committed and faithful to your calling and mission as a part of your church. And may we take it upon ourselves as the body of Christ here at Hope Covenant Church to support, encourage, strengthen, stand with our new pastor as he comes. So we pray for Paul and for Mary that you would bless them here in this place through the ministries and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.